Ora, and welcome to another edition of the GeoDorable podcast with your hosts, Chris Morris and Mark Thompson. For more information on this episode, visit the GeoDorable page on Facebook. Hello there, Chris. Hello, Mark. How's your day been? Uh, pretty terrible, actually. Excellent. <laughs> How about yours? Uh, well, since we uh, worked on a similar problem today, actually, yeah, equally um, dodgy. <laughs> yeah, but hello listeners, welcome to the world's number one geospatial podcast based in New Zealand uh, that is geodorable. It is indeed, and uh, we talk about all things kind of spatial and techy and, you know. Geospatial. Geospatial, sorry. Location intelligence. Uh, yeah, you know. Positional accuracy, all that sort of good stuff with a little bit of banter. Um, maybe a little bit of sarcasm. No, um, surely not. But well, but maybe that's a good place to insert the disclaimer. Oh, are we into the disclaimer already? Yeah. Um, so any things we say and say on this pro- on this podcast are our own opinions and ideas, and don't reflect the uh, thoughts or opinions of other people. Do you know you've got that in so early? I'm a bit worried about what you've got planned later on. <laughs> Well, I was actually going to do a bit of bit of mailbag, mailbag bag. Oh, you, sure. Um, and that you know, we, we do get a lot of correspondence, and we we, we really do enjoy um, hearing hearing what you're up to in the in this geospatial world, um, and ideas or comments on on our um, on our content or what our guests have to say. Mm-hmm. I mean, by the way, we have another great guest uh, for you on this podcast. Okay. Um, but the, just, just a, there was a question, I suppose, about um, about Cockney rhyming slang, <laughs> which is unrelated to JS. But, but Chris, just, just, can you give us a rundown of what a Cockney is, just to start with? Okay, so, so uh, a Cockney is um, somebody from London who has been who was born within the sound of bow bells is the official kind of uh, definition but, but of what a cockney is where are bow bells um, they are in kind of towards the east end of london so you know if you've ever watched the soap eastenders it's it's around wolford okay yeah that should narrow it down a bit yeah yeah all right so it's it's, it's an east part of london yeah. and why is it distinctive i mean there's there's lots of distinctions in in the uk uh, what, what, why is it distinction? It, it's because of the Cockney rhyming slang that um, they're, they're, they're known to use in everyday kind of conversation. Right. And so when we say a, a term like apples and pears or rub-a-dub-dub. Yes. Apples and pears meaning stairs. And what was the other one? Rub-a-dub-dub. Don't actually know. Ah, oh, three men in a tub. Going to the pub. Is that what that one is? Yes. Well, I no, I didn't. Um, okay. it's obviously, it's all gone Pete Tong. That's a modern day one. It is. It's a good one. Um, but basically, choosing abstract phrases <laughs> where you could just use a word that that rhymes. You, yes, you could. Um, so, yeah, just, just to clarify that one, I thought it would be um, worthwhile. Sure, because, I mean, many, many of our listeners are keenly aware of um, you know my my Cockney roots. <laughs> yes, and uh, and our limited knowledge of Cockney rhyming slang. Yes, well, uh, she. This is the funny thing, right? So my my grandmother, um, who was a very strict lady, um, 
uh, one of the first uh, female attendees at, I think it was University College London. I think. Maybe wrong. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she was a, a biology teacher in the days when um, women, you know, were more governesses rather than um, teachers as such. Um, yes. Anyway, she, yeah, she was, she, was, uh, she was born in that neck of the woods and therefore is officially a cockney, although I never heard her... Uh, ever use in fact she she just wouldn't she was not that kind of lady um, all right so that makes me like what a, a half, quarter, quarter cockney i don't know i don't know but anyway just just thought we'd put that clarification out there i swear half our listeners are just going what the heck are these two about <laughs> and why but we're responding to our, our questions so um yeah feel free to contact us on the many social platforms we're on uh twitter my Geodorable, uh, our, f- our Facebook Geodorable, our website Geodorable. Um, basically, Google <laughs> Geodorable and you'll get hold of us somehow. Yeah. And, and we'd really like to hear from you. Um, so keep in your questions and your correspondence. Um, so what's on today's show, Chris? Well, as ever, we have news, uh, bringing you the news so you don't have to read it yourself. Yep, our team of uh, n- news people. Uh, yep. Yeah, yeah, they're they're working hard. Um, yep, just for just for our listeners, it's great. And a great interview with a uh, with with the Dragons Den member of uh, of the <laughs> geospatial world. I'm not quite sure if he described himself as that, but um, <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Um, so, with that, shall we get onto the news? Uh, we shall. Spatial news. Now, Chris, one of the things um, I did last year was take some time off with the family mm-hmm. and spend some time in the United States of America. Okay. Um, and my daughter's favorite place in the whole of America, and we went to Disneyland and Universal Studios. I mean, there are better places, some people would argue, but uh, she went to Williamsburg. Well, we went to Williamsburg. Okay. Um, and... <laughs> Here comes the link. Oh, oh good. I was, I was wondering Williamsburg is a colonial town. It's really interesting. It's the second largest um, living museum in the world. Um, and in it, its heart of why it still exists is a college or university called William and Mary. Boom. So why are we talking about William and Mary College, Chris? I don't know, Mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow, leave me hanging. Um, so... <laughs> There's an interesting uh, analysis from Robert Rose, who's the director for the Centre of Geospatial Analysis at the College of William and Mary. And he gave his students the task of using geospatial analysis to work out whether Frodo took the best path uh, from the Shrier to Middle Earth. The Shrier. Shire? Better. So I just want to point out to our listeners here, you can understand, right, when we're talking about geospatial analysis and Frodo Baggins, that I didn't immediately jump to Williamsburg. Okay, well, let's not argue on here. Um. <laughs> okay, well, I'll go off. Oh, okay. Don't mind. <laughs> but anyway, what, why, why are we mentioning this, apart from the very long intro about how great a time I had in the US <laughs> for a holiday for four weeks? Um I don't know. I'm, I'm, I may have lost the will to live. 
I thought we were mentioning this. I mean, this this was my thought, Mark. Just mine. You know, I thought we were mentioning this because last week we talked all about the other great kind of um, fantasy realm, um, Game of Thrones. And I was going Game of Thrones. Now we're talking about Lord of the Rings. You know, they're kind of you know similar. But no, you, you had to you had to make it personal. That's what people like. Um, anyway, the, it's it's quite an in-depth analysis. It's quite good. Um, I don't think we'll tell you how it ends. No, no. Uh, you can read. You can watch the nine hours of movies. Do you know my favourite piece in this entire article? Yes, is um, doing a view shed of the Eye of Sauron. I mean, I just—that's awesome. <laughs> that's that's quite. I mean, uh, I think people say that some some geospatial degrees and courses are, are not that hands-on and practical. Mm-hmm. You'd have to say uh, this may not be uh, practical, but it's very hands-on. Well, it is, and I mean, I think had Frodo and. Um, Sam used a, uh, a least cost path to find the way to the uh, to the Mountain of Doom. No, Mountain of Doom? Yeah, Mordor. Um, the movies would have been shorter, and that possibly would have been a good thing. <laughs> Especially splitting the last one. Or is that the, the, the whole, anyway. No, that was The Hobbit. They broke was it? from one book into three movies. Yeah, again, oh, I think anyway. I mean, this, this is where GIS is, is really important in most people's lives. They were getting off topic. Um we were on topic yeah. <laughs> yeah i just watched the first one and thought oh that looks like my uncle's farm which it actually was <laughs> was it yeah well, oh, come on this is it, a decent story get on with it it was, well, was, it, it, was, it, was, was his, it was his na- the neighbor's farm but um so the hobbit village was right next to their farm it uh-huh. was right next to their farm and used to go rabbit shooting not over the hobbit village but on it so you're just like ah oh, it's it's just a little gully with some some um, cow tracks on it. <laughs> and, Sorry, and, and it, did, it ruined the magic. Did you ever see a hobbit when you were out catching rabbits? No, no. Well, I mean, um, but but you're very you're not likely to because they're smaller folk, um, very good at disappearing into kind of you know. The well, background that's true, and, but but I would have made sure I identified my target first. Sure. Yeah. Um, um, but anyway, so we'll post a link to this. Um, it's it's actually quite good. It's a good read. Um, not sure you want to share it with your um, with your workmates because they might think you're even more geeky. Unless you're in a bunch of geospatial people. I'm sorry, what you you don't think geeky geospatial people will share this with other geeky geospatial? People? No, I think that's fine. I think okay. other. I mean, outside of your your yeah. geospatial geekiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Right. Let's move on. Oh no, no. I think we should carry on talking about it. Or move on. Spatial news. Okay. Do you know what the one thing I thought that those maps missed, Mark? Do you know what it was? <laughs> Tell me, Chris. What did they miss? They missed a pop-up. You know. Ooh, a pop-up. Is that some sort of art thing? Uh, you know, it's that thing when you click on a map and a little thing pops up. All right. Tells you about it. Okay. So like a dialogue box on a map yeah one of those one of those chappies yeah is that a geo pop-up chris i oh i mean i suppose it it should be it has to be it's on a map therefore it's geo something yes it it should be anyway (laughs) anyway um um, so both you and i i mean it doesn't sound like it at the moment but both you and i are actually a quite kind of uh competent i wasn't gonna go that far (laughs) no no we're in, in agreement um, that ah. that the Esri pop-ups are not 
quite there's pop-ups and then there's pop-ups yeah let's just yeah. leave it there however yeah, okay. if you are in the world of es- esri pop-ups um good old burn sizlaski oh, good grief i just get worse every day um pronunciation mm-hmm. he's actually written a massive article about configuring pop-ups yep um and it's it's very useful because yeah, it, there's not that much information about them configuring them no and they will let down a map they will very quickly and if you can if you can make your pop-up look more decent than it does out of the box then that's a great way of kind of engaging your your you know your users of the map it is um so the humble pop-up mark it it's worth it's worth spending a bit of time to make sure your definitely is best yeah yeah, I, it, it, that's, that says for any any map online or offline. Yeah, it's worth spending the time just to make it a bit pretty because if you do a hacky job, um, people will treat it poorly. Do you know, it's one of my bugbears, Mark. I have many. Like, seriously, I have many. Like anyway, one of them is when you do get a pop up and the person hasn't bothered to kind of change any of the the, the field oh, the, names yeah 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 you oh, mean they've got an underscore in oh them the or underscore something. kills me i'm just oh, going that is yeah. the laziest <laughs> just there's takes the OC- pride in your work come on come on there's the ocd popping up but oh, no. i just yeah <laughs> i yeah. i agree wholeheartedly on that no, it's just like how hard was that to remove the underscore yes yeah um, but then it should be a debate why would you even have under underscores yeah. for field names it should just be like some sort of camel case well, it's because you've used a shapefile to do that in the first place. <laughs> oh, no. Right, good article by Burn. Spatial news. Uh, now, we are all about the future, Chris. Yes. Um, and one of the futures is machine learning. Yes. And one of the um, aspects of machine learning is trying to understand humans. And... As a human, I find it particularly difficult. So I'm, you know, I'm holding out for machine learning. I think that's just woman, Chris. No? No, you find all the humans difficult. Ha- happily married to a wife that goes out really often. <laughs> that you understand? Yeah. Anyway, um, part of that whole story is Esri have released ArcGIS Locate XT, which would be one of the things you couldn't have told us about when you went to uh, Palm Springs, Chris. Oh, I, actually, I do think I saw okay. it. Okay. Anyway, but what's the point of XT? Well, this is a, what, a, what are they calling it? Locate XT? I don't know. I'll just locate geolocate XT. No, it's no, it's not. It's not. It's not. Locate XT um, extension, uh, and, and it's an extension to Pro, I believe. It is, um, and basically, it allows you to feed it text documents, so Word documents or Excel, those kind of things, uh, PDFs. And it will extract location from the document, and that could be things like uh, coordinates, or it could be um, well, places. Places, yeah. And then it will um, it'll put those places on a map. Yeah, it will. Um, and yeah, I'm trying to remember what they call that. Um, but basically, it's looking for keywords. Um, and it should be possible to understand the difference between reading and reading. Or yes. Chris's example, Wellington and Wellington, or Wellington, the Duke. Um, 
But that's that's strictly for our British people. I was, was going to say who call their rubber boots Wellingtons. I, I'm just thinking, well, our listeners in uh, in the US are going reading, reading, reading. What? Yeah, it, it, it's a place. Uh, yeah, on the outskirts of London, I guess, in the UK. Everywhere's on the outskirts of. London. It is quite a long way, but apart from those in the north, I'm sorry, I've offended you. Um. Anyway, so actually, this is really good because uh, you know. Um, there have been kind of you know organisations that have have built their their kind of uh, their company based on this ability to you know geolocate from documents. Yes. Um, and Esri have done that thing where they come along and they kind of drop it into their core product. Yeah. Yep. Um, so it's it's all good. Um, Again, I think this is where this is where there's a tie-in with Frodo. I think if he had used this. Um, he, he again he may have found a better and quicker way you know um, sure it, it is fiction let's just clarify sure uh, and I, I think I think that Yellow Code XT does read Elvish so you know or ruins anyway <laughs> okay anyway so yeah um, definitely check that out um, links on our website Spatial news. Now, Chris, there is something I didn't tell you and the listeners from the last one. Uh, okay. I was using a DJI drone the other week. Hang on. What? So I mention it all the time when they send you one. What? That? No, no, they didn't send me. But DJI, you have great drones. I really, um, the issues I, su- I, I had with it were purely from user operator error, <laughs> um, including when I... Um, Flew it into a post and into some um, kiwi fruit vines, um, but it was great. Um, and DJI, if you'd like to sponsor us, feel free. Get in touch. Reach out. <laughs> Send us a drone message. In a drone. <laughs> Send us a drone, and and, and yeah. I'll be I'll be uh, I'll be talking all week about how great they are. That's so much fun. Which drone uh, did you have? Which one was it? Uh, Sprint Spirit Spark Spark. Okay. You're, they're not going to send you a drone unless you can get the name of their product right. Oh, they have those drones as well. They're all really good. Yes, um, no, no, great. Um, yeah. No. And um, what were you using it for, Mark? Um, I was doing some surveying of my, I want to say, kiwi fruit farm, orchard. Okay. Thing, um, and I did some cool under canopy shots. Um, yep. But you can't really see what's behind you, and I, I sort of bumped it into the post. Um, <laughs> And then, then it decided that it needed to return home because batteries was low, so it decided to rise up, but it was underneath the canopy. Oh. <laughs> so it hit the canopy and then hit the ground. Um, and uh, apologies to my workmate, I've already apologised a million times for um, for accidentally scratching his drawing. You scratched the drawing? Y- yeah. Yeah, once I cleaned the grass off it, <laughs> it was scratched. Um, because as I understand it, DJI drones are uh, pretty um, robust. Things. Oh, it was very robust. I mean, yeah. 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 I mean, it wasn't yeah yeah i was being careful i just wasn't gentle anyway dji great drones um but now they um after let's say helping to dispose of gopro in the drone industry i think to be fair gopro managed to dispose themselves (laughs) yeah yeah i mean if you're going to make a drone make sure it stays in the air I was going to say the the gopro's karma drone never really got off the ground again uh, failing for a drone (laughs) Yes, but, but, I mean, the, the lack of karma. We're we're, <laughs> we're gradually getting around to the story here, but you know, traditionally DJI drones, you know, the, the large ones have used GoPro cameras. 
Yes, they have, but not anymore. No, because... Uh, DJI have launched a, their own camera called the Osmo. I like the name, by the way. Because? I just like the name. Sorry, Osmo. the Osmo Action is what we should be calling okay, it. Sorry, yeah. Anyway, it's all great. It does the digital stability, rock steady imagery, imagery slow-mo, you name it. It's it's great. Um, is this just a plug for DJI to sponsor us, Chris? No. no, no where I think it's in, it's interesting is that, you know, um, as, as you found, you know, using a drone to capture imagery that you can then use within your GIS is, um, you know, it, it's, it's one of kind of the new modern methods for, for data capture, right? And yes. the fact that, um, you know, you're now going to be able to get a DJI camera with your DJI drone, um, which I believe is kind of about 100 bucks cheaper than your, your GoPro equivalent, that's quite big news, I think. You know, well, yeah, three fifty USD. Yeah, and that's the that's the start. Yeah, um, um, but you know, it's it's going to again help drive more people to capture information like you did, you know, and in you know import it into the the GIS. So it's good news, I think. It is. Mm, good on you, DGI. <laughs> Love your work. Spatial news. Uh, should, sorry, should you not put the disclaimer, shame you were banned from US military installations? <laughs> what? Well, we had a story last year about DJI being... Yes, we did. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, let's, let's, let's skip the topic of the US and trade war against China. Sure, because <laughs> we're jump, that kind of podcast. <laughs> and jump to digital twins. Now, we, we've done a... Com- uh, oh, a we've been of, all over this. It's, we have. It, it's it's like the measles epidemic. We've just covered it. <laughs> um, and what's interesting is Bentley, who we don't actually talk about that much. I mean, they make beautiful cars. Sh- sure. Um, yeah. I think you'll find that BMW. Oh. Um, now I've got to cross-reference that. But anyway, um, Bentley... Are they still called Microsystems? I believe uh, Bentley Systems. I believe Bentley now. Systems now. Yeah, they're um, a bit larger than Micro. <laughs> uh, they have um, un- unveiled a, a digital twin part of the software. Now, I, I must confess, my first use of geospatial software was actually MicroStation. Oh, wow! And it is fantastic at actually drawing stuff um, because it, like any good CAD, it doesn't actually care until you joined it together what what things are that's hmm. a, that doesn't make sense does it it doesn't but you're, you're saying great uh, stuff so continue. anyway it 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 yeah cats are really good for digitizing other things and um because you don't have to make them features until you're ready to make them features but anyway so a bit of a bit of a soft spot for the old bentley mm. that would be for rolls royce if you're listening rolls royce um i think they're owned by um no i think not <laughs> Um, I mean, do we think? I mean, we, we've done. Uh, I mean, we're just a small podcast. What do we know, right? But um, we did a podcast about digital twins many, many months ago. Sorry, Volkswagen owned Bentley. I think I think they're different people, aren't they? Sure. Anyway, we did a podcast months and months, months ago about digital twins. Well, Are we Bentley did two podcasts. Story. I mean, yeah, uh, mm. we did two podcasts, and we even had James Fee on. Uh, from City Zen, Zen, Zenth. Zenith. Zenith. Yeah. yeah, that's not the way he said it. Well. Anyway, <laughs> enough arguing. Anyway, um, 
but basically this is just to say digital twins on the rise if 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 you're in an organization that is doing some sort of processing manufacturing heart of the city i don't know um you should be bringing it up in um future future technologies if people are going oh iot and what sort of thing you go well digital twin and just say that <laughs> yeah pretty much drop your pen walk out <laughs> um. spatial news it's all right i just dropped the uh <laughs> you dropped the the uh the pad um talking right. of digital twin, well kind of kind of um we're we're all over this as well ips Indeed. Indoor positioning system. So get your acronyms, people. <laughs> Come get them while they're hot. You've heard of GPS. Now there's IPS, indoor positioning. Yep. Brilliant. Um, there's a bunch of acronyms with this. Uh, BLE is one of them. Standing for Bluetooth Low Energy. Yes. And these are the things you stick on the wall that sort of tell you where you are or tell the devices where you are. Yep. Um, there is a few other ones. There's obviously iBeacon. Uh, from Apple. Apple, yeah. Um, and there's a bunch of people making different ones. But, um, yeah, we thought it was just interesting um, to bring you up to speed on a few more acronyms. Well, I think, that, you know, it, it's almost like, you yeah, know, the industry's gone, okay, so we've kind of done this outdoor mapping thing. We've kind of got that solved. <laughs> Where next can we go? And they've been looking around their room, kind of going, yeah, I wonder. Oh, oh hang on. Inside. Um, I'm imagining that's exactly how it happened, by the way. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, you know, it is this kind of, it's this brave new space. And, again, I'm not quite sure whether um, whether the GIS industry is the best industry to lead us forward um, over this. But oh. It comes down to that whole point we keep saying is that it's more of a tool than it is a solution mm. and that you know locating building building a great map and being able to locate internally sounds like a, a geospatial problem and it is um, but what you're doing with it is, is probably either marketing or uh, I don't know something else oh you know tracking tracking people through you know through an environment I guess yeah well, yeah, we've had a few articles about that um, as well, haven't we? About yep. music confer conferences. <laughs> yeah, music festivals, festivals, I think they believe. They're called. Well, it is this thing, and uh, you said it earlier, right? You know, you need to know this stuff. If you're in the industry, you kind of need to know. Yeah. Um, and, and understanding beacons, I think, is, is part of that, that story. There are many other pieces to it, but um, understanding particularly how Bluetooth beacons work are, uh, you know, is an important factor. And um, this is a pretty good news story for, for kind of explaining that. Yeah, it is. So we'll post the link up for that. Hmm. Well, Mark, I believe um, that's the news we have this week. Well, there it is. And um, we now have an interview, if even more banter. Um, with with a great guy, yeah, indeed. So Ed Fre Freifogel. Yep. Um, yeah, we, we sort of get on to what he does and who he is and and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, just another really interesting commentator on this geospatial industry, um, with the added aspect that he's actually looking 
and building investments in companies that are doing interesting things. Yeah, and he's uh, he's also, as you will hear, he's um, he runs Geomob, which is um, a kind of a kind of a meet up, a geospatial meet up. Um, yeah, currently was it London, Barcelona, and uh, Munich? I think it was. It is, um, and combines the great uh, great tradition of geospatial and beer. There's nothing better. <laughs> there isn't. Hello, Ed. How are you? Hi, great to be here. Yeah, welcome along. Now you, um, we got in touch with us through the website um, because you're a what do you call us a, a person of spatial interest? <laughs> That's right. Through the uh, I, I, um, I've been listening to the podcast for a while now, and uh, you know I thought it was time to get in touch. I am literally on the opposite side of the earth from you guys. I'm sitting here in sunny Barcelona today. Yeah, um, which nice. is which is the exact uh, opposite from New Zealand, but um, yeah, yeah, in many ways. <laughs> <laughs> At the moment, um, cheap beer and warm weather sounds quite good. Yeah, uh, it's um, there's not a lot to complain about here. So. <laughs> yeah, but but you don't sound Spanish, Ed. I am I am neither Spanish nor Catalan nor um, nor any other variant thereof. Um, I, I, uh, but I do live here in Barcelona, so um, I get, maybe I'll start by introducing myself a little bit and, and uh, the relevance to the podcast. Um, so uh, I, I run a geocoding API and together with a, a colleague, we started that a couple of years ago. It's called OpenCage. Um, it's an API where anyone can do forward or reverse geocoding. And the big differentiator of our service is that it's built on top of open data. So we, um, you know, that could be OpenStreetMap, but also other different open data sets. And we provide one kind of simple, reliable uh, API for anyone who wants to do geocoding at high volume. Um, yeah. So how did, uh, is this like you're sitting around with a mate in the pub? And you, uh, know, you know what we need is, is another geocoder. Uh, well, I, I am often at the pub, um, but and, and and I frankly I am often at the pub with people um, discussing geo topics because I I also run um, an event that that we've been running for about ten years now in London. It's called GeoMob, um, which is kind of an informal gathering where we get together a few people and we get some talks about different geo topics, and then we go drink beers. Um, and actually, now we do GeoMob in London, Barcelona, and also in Munich. Um, but no, the reason I got into geocoding is um, I, prior to doing OpenCage, about 13, 14 years ago, so 2006, um, I started a company together with a, a, another guy that we did a real estate search. So a, a search engine online where we would aggregate all the real estate listings in different countries. And of course, um, there are three things that are important in real estate, which are location, location, and location. So um, we had to, you know, we would get millions of, of real estate listings in, with addresses, and we wanted to display them on a map, so we would need to geocode them. Um, and and so we learned all the all the challenges of geocoding. Um, sometimes very simple in some countries, and if you have good data, in other countries very difficult. Um, and and of course, if you have bad data, it's also a bit of a challenge so so that's how we got into it okay and before um before Nestoria you were at um Yahoo and you invented the internet is that right uh that's right so I used to print it every day I mean my hands would just be covered in ink 
it was it was pretty nuts. And then nuts. and then I'd have to carry it around to the houses and give it to people. But but then then we found out about computers and um, yeah. So I, I started my career as a software developer at Yahoo in in Germany, and I was in Munich back kind of in the late nineties. So um, back when it was been cool, a lot of fun. It it, it it was a lot of fun actually because when I joined Yahoo Germany it was um, about fifteen people and I mean obviously Yahoo in the US was quite was bigger I think it was about a thousand people but but so we I but it, the situation I was in it was kind of all the benefits of a startup of being a very small team and things like that yet uh, all the benefits of being kind of the you know the hottest company on the internet um, uh, and so yeah that was quite a wild ride I was there for five years. All the ups and downs, you know, lots of ups, also some some downs, um, and then eventually I left that because it it had kind of grown grown bigger and bigger, and I was more interested kind of in the startup lifestyle. So, so yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's how then I eventually, together with the next Yahoo colleague, started this uh, real estate search company. Yeah. So, so were you? Um, how shall I put it? Were you classically trained in in, in geography and and spatial, or has it been something that's no, no, not at all, not at all. Actually, um, I studied civil engineering, and um, back uh-huh. kind of in the mid nineties, and then I went and worked construction one summer, and I said, "This is fucking terrible." Um, so, <laughs> and and that was when the uh, the internet was coming out as well. So, I, you know, I had, a, I had a semester or two of programming, and so. You know, I just realized you could make a lot more money, you know, and, and it was more interesting for me uh, to do programming. And then, um, and then, no, I didn't really do anything geo-related until starting this um, this real estate search site. And as you may recall, 2006, that was kind of right at the time that Google Maps had just come out. So it was yeah, like sure. the idea of, a, of, you know, putting some points on a map and moving the map. This was, this was wild, crazy stuff. Which you know is obviously pretty yeah. absurd today if we look back at it. But that was kind of how I got into it. And then um, I had you know at that same time I was I was, it was this was all happening in London, which was of course where OpenStreetMap started. And so we started kind of going to some of the the OpenStreetMap meetups and mapping parties and and pub events and stuff. And that was kind of how I got into it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a lot of fun, great experience. Actually, actually, one funny anecdote. Um, I had a, so when we were starting the company, we needed someone to help us kind of work on this map interface. And I was friends with a guy from my Yahoo days, um, a guy named Mikhail Marin, who's well known in the OpenStreetMap community. And so I was like, Mikhail, let's you know, can we can we pay you to do this project for us? You seem to know about this, so. He came and he said, oh, I'm going to bring my buddy along as well. So they came and we're sitting at a cafe talking about it. And I've kind of outlined the project and we talk about how much money we're going to pay him and stuff. And at the end of the project, the, his buddy kind of pulls out this huge device and dunks it on the table. And I'm like, oh, what's that? And he's like, oh, that's my GPS device. I'm, I'm, I'm making a map of the world. <laughs> yeah, and I was like... What the what earth are you talking about, buddy? Like just, just do my project, okay? <laughs> like, and, and that was Steve Coast, the founder of OpenStreetMap. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, so uh, so that was how I got into it, and then um, then after a couple of years, uh, you know, the business was was doing well, um, but the big challenge we had is is hiring people and mm-hmm. and finding um, you know gaining talent, and so that was how we started at first as a sponsor, and then took over as an organizer of the GeoMob event, and and so every three four months we have an event where, as I said, we get. We get five or six different people to talk about their projects for a couple of minutes. 
Um, and it's a really broad, broad spectrum. It's, uh, it's, it's hardcore GIS people, you know, who, who, um, you know, train kind of in a traditional Esri style background, but also lots and lots of startups, lots of, um, academics actually, uh, hobbyists, you have the people from the OpenStreetMap community, you know, it's, it's really, really broad group. And that's one thing that I find most interesting actually now is that more and more people are, are using geo, uh, you know, the, the fact that everyone now has a supercomputer in their pocket that knows where they are at all times opens up a lot of possibilities. So, um, and so, yeah, GeoMob, we try to try to explore that and, you know, we get some wacky ideas. We get some, some that are on their path to becoming big successful companies and others that are just crazy far out ideas and, and sometimes actually both. So, <laughs> yeah. So, just back to Open Cage. Um, if if you know, you talked about it being based on OpenStreetMap and and kind of how you came up with the idea, but what makes it different from the bunch like or well, the standard OpenStreetMap API and a bunch of other ones um, that are already out there? Right. So, so we have kind of let's say two categories of of competitors or let's say um, comparable products. So so at the one end, you have people like um, Google, that, you know, they're obviously the, the most well-known player with their um, their maps and, and as part of their maps offering, they have geocoding. Um, a couple issues that they have there. I mean, technically, of course, it's a, a very impressive product. Uh, there are a couple things. It, geocoding gets lost a little bit in their whole offering. They have so many different APIs and maps and things like that. Um, secondly, you have to agree to Google's terms and conditions, which can be quite restrictive, actually, in terms of not being able to store the data for a long time. Uh, in theory, you're not allowed to, if you geocode with Google's API, you're only allowed to display that result on a Google map. Um, so you're, you're not allowed to display it on OpenStreetMap. Uh, map. Some, some of the players in this category have a lot of restrictions about um, can you use the can you use the geocoding behind a firewall, or does it have to be publicly available, or do you have to pay more if you want to use it behind a firewall and things like that? Um, and then actually that leads to the one of the biggest issues is price. Um, I, I think you guys talked about this a couple um, last summer when it happened, but Google recently raised the price quite dramatically in in most of their markets. So um, so then at the other end of the spectrum, you have uh, as you as you correctly asked is why can't I just use um, OpenStreetMap directly? Um, you certainly can. Uh, so OpenStreetMap does have a public um, geocoding service called Nominatum, um, and actually my co-founder is one of the one of the main uh, Nominatum developers. But um, the the public OpenStreetMap instance is designed for mappers to look at their edits and things like that. It's not designed for high-level enterprise use, and if you try to use it in that way, you'll get blocked because it, um, you know, you, you, by, by overloading it, the mappers can't use yeah. it. So, um, so if you want kind of an enterprise-level reliable service, that's kind of the niche we fill. Of course, you can also take the OpenStreetMap data and try to host it yourself and, and, and run it yourself, and, 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 and people do do that. But then that's the issue is, you know, that, that's an ongoing challenge that you have to maintain and stay on top of. Um, and the big problem with the thing with geocoding is it's uh, you, on the one hand, you have the software. On the other hand, you have the data. The data is continually changing. Um, I mean, OpenStreetMap now gets many millions of edits every single day. So it's kind of a living beast that you need to stay on top of and run. Um, and you can certainly do that. And, you know, the, the same way you can 
you can bake your own bread or whatever, but most people prefer to go to a bakery. So. Yeah. But you also, um, I suppose, enhance or add value to the data, don't you? It's, well, well, yes, we, we do try to do more than just OpenStreetMap. So we, we augment it with other data sets. Um, so none of them quite have the global scale of OpenStreetMap, but, um, but there are in different countries, there are different data sets. So um, closer to your part of the world in Australia, there's the GNAF data set. Um, which is a governmental data set from Australia. Um, and they're is very the ones. Is that the sheep index? How far away you are from a sheep in Australia? <laughs> I don't... Um, I, 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 I religiously stay clear of Antipodean politics. So... <laughs> um, uh, but, so anyway, there are other data sets that we master it with. And then we also try to enhance the results a bit by adding other bits, what we call annotations. So other types of information about each result. So um, these could be things like the time zone uh, of that result, the, what currency do they use there, um, what what calling code do they use there, various statistical codes that are commonly used in, in statistical analysis, um, and some you know different different location type codes like like what three words or maidenhead or um, MGRS or um, all kinds of different things. Um, so really the 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 core of the proposition that we're trying to make to our, our customers is there are people who want to use open data, but using open data can be a bit complicated. You know, like for, for hardcore geo geeks like ourselves, it's really fun to get deep into the OpenStreetMap world and, um, you know, play with all the tools and all this kind of stuff. But there are a lot of people who, you know, geocoding is, you know, one of 30 different subparts of the project they're working on, and they just want to get on with it. And if that's the case, you, you probably just want to use a, a service like ours. Yeah. So, I mean, with, with all of those kind of good stuff, right, you're super expensive, right? <laughs> no, actually, we're... we're um, so, obviously, because we're getting the data um, for free, we're, we're orders of magnitude cheaper than someone like Google. So, um, so the way our pricing works is there's a free trial tier. So, of, of course, people need to test before they before they use us. Um, so the, the free trial tier, anyone can sign up for that. You just need an email address, no credit card or anything. Then you can do um, 2,500 queries per day for free. Um, and then if you if you need more, then you can, you know, we have different small, medium, and large packages depending on the volume that you need. So. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, it's quite well placed in the market. We hope so, we hope so. Um, I mean, the, the big motivator for doing this is, you know, as a, as a big believer in open data, would, you know, I, I think there are a lot of people who like the idea of open data, but then they say, oh, well, I like open data, but um, it's just easy to use Google, you know? And yeah. so what we want to do is reduce that barrier so that it's easy to use open data. And then once you're using open data, we see this time and time again with many of our customers is, you know, they'll use the service and they'll find some, some area where the data is perhaps not perfect and they'll, they'll kind of um, complain to us and we'll, and then we'll explain, oh, well, you can fix it yourself in OpenStreetMap. Here's how you do it. And, and you know, you go from using it to, to helping support it and maintaining it. And, and that's a way to draw people kind of into the community. Yeah, that's quite cool. They, um, you pay for it, but you still have to contribute back to it. Um, that's yeah, that's it, it's nice. in, in some regards very similar to um, open source software. You know, I mean, uh, the, the power of open source or open data is that 
you know, you can fix it. You can, you can, um, it's transparent. You can see what the data is um, and you have very permissive use around it. So for example, you can store the data as long as you want. Um, all the, you can display it on any map you want. So, you know, with our geocoder, if you want to put it on a Google map, fine, you can do that. Um, which is, you know, as I explained in the, in the, the opposite way around is, is not possible. Um, but, it, um, so, you know, you can, you, if you need to, you can get in there and you can fix it. Um, but, but, you know, you, you, you don't have to. So, uh, but we think as more and more people use it, 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 they become aware, they understand what it is. They start to say, oh, well, you know, this is valuable. You know, maybe there's a way I can contribute and give back. And, um, you know, that doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't happen in all cases, but I think in the long term, it's the only, it's the only way forward. And very similar yeah. to how with open source software, you know, 20 years ago, open source software was met somewhat skeptically in the enterprise. And now it's the norm. And it's the norm also increasingly for you know, companies to let their employers contribute back to, to, to join industry foundations and things that support the software. Um, and, and, you know, I think with open data, it will be the same. Yeah. And then speaking of, um, I suppose the, the great, great people or the, you know, these voluntary organizations, Geomob. Yeah. So um, yeah, you've been go going on. for 10 years, your website, the geomob.com. Um, having events in Barcelona, London, and Munich because they're the center of the geo. Well, we would we would love to have um, events in more places, actually. Um, so, so yeah, we started in London because that's where I was living, and um, then I moved to Barcelona. But actually, the Munich event, um, I, I although I did live in Munich previously, but I don't run that. It's um, a guy named Muthu Kumar who um, who runs the Geo Awesomeness blog. And he, you know, he wanted to start a meetup and he said, can we use the Geomob name and, and the kind of the Geomob formula? And now we'll be having the second Munich event, uh, I think on the 18th of July. So, so how, how do you yeah. explain it? It's like a, like a TED talk with beer and location. Well, it's not. So, so first of all, there are a couple things about Geomob um, that, that, that I think make it uh, successful. So, so the first thing is all the talks are only 10 to 15 minutes, not longer. Um, and then, because that way, if someone's a bad speaker, you can suffer through ten or fifteen minutes. <laughs> but you know, there's nothing there's there's nothing worse than you know a forty five minute talk by someone. Um, and also, I try to I try to really I get a try to get a, a broad uh, mix of speakers um, in terms of, of topics. So it's not a startup event. It's not five startups just pitching about how they're the greatest new thing or whatever, but we get, um, you know, people from the big companies, people from, as I said, academia, people from startups, people from, we, we have a lot of, you know, just hobbyists, people who are like, uh, oh, here's this cool thing I built. Um, and what I'd really try to tell the speakers is it should not be about the technical detail. If possible, so I mean, there's nothing worse than you're 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 sitting in the audience and someone flashes up their slide and they're like, you know, if you look at line 49 of the source code, you can see where I, <laughs> you know, it, that's horrible. Um, so instead, what I try to tell them is give a talk about why is this interesting, you know, why does it excite you, why might it be interesting to other people in the audience, why and um, how can they use it or how can they interact with it. Um, and yeah, and then so then we have a couple talks, and then we go drink beers, and that's it. And so do you uh, get uh, do you get the same 
people coming to the same event or yeah you know, the event we, in in london you know so we have about in london i would say the audience varies from about 50 to 70 people uh there is a kind of a hardcore of let's say 20 30 people who come every single time and and in that regard is, it has it, it's kind of the social aspect kind of predominates um but but yeah you know there's always new people coming through um so so with um with events in London, Munich, and uh, and Barcelona, the best beer. <laughs> I mean, well, that fit? I, well, know, let me. I can. I can tell you this. I can tell you, Geomob. We always have the best beer, and that is free beer. <laughs> yeah, okay. okay, fair enough. The best beer is the one that someone else pays for, and uh, yeah. So, so we have. We're fortunate to have a few sponsors. My my own company, Open Cage, is a sponsor. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we, we pay for the beers. Um, it's not a, I intentionally try not to make it like kind of a high production value event. Like, um, you know, it's not at a fancy venue. Usually half the time we're kind of at a university or something or in a co-working space or something. Um, and it, it's, it, the whole point is to keep it low key because I don't want, what, what we absolutely don't want is, you know, someone coming, giving the, the we don't want the marketing guy giving their like sales pitch. I, yeah. I try to, I try to limit the speakers also to um, either engineers or product managers or, or in the case of a startup, maybe the founder of the startup, but, but ideally not, you know, you don't want someone who's like, Oh, I'm head of marketing for, for Europe from mega corp X to, read the press release, you know, of, of what got built somewhere else. I want the people who are actually doing it. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. That's good. Uh, one final point on that. Yeah. If anyone else, any of, any of your listeners wants to start a Geomob somewhere else, please get in touch. I'm, you know, very happy to, to, um, to help promote that. Um, I know, I know there are similar events or, or vaguely uh, similar events in some other places. Um, yeah, and then finally, if a, of course, anyone who's in any of those cities should please come along. And uh, if you're if you're not in one of those cities, then please get on our mailing list. Which uh, once a month we send an email where we kind of summarize the events and preview the upcoming events. And um, it's very it's very low traffic, but it gives you an idea of what's going on. Yeah, so. that sounds excellent. Um, and then your third hobby, <laughs> right? I mean, that's so. not a busy enough for life, right? <laughs> Haven't you got two kids and a wife? And I, I do have two kids and a wife. Um, Wasn't it two kids and two wives? Oh, just <laughs> not that you can prove. Um, uh, yeah. So the third thing I do is because through GeoMob and through um, you know there's a very thriving tech scene in London over the last decade or so. Um, that kind of exposed me to lots of different startups, uh, and and my own my own startup, that real estate search business, was was doing okay. I mean, um, so then I started um, doing some angel investing in different geo startups. Um, so a lot of them whom I, I came into contact through via via GeoMob, actually. Um, so so yeah, we have we have some weird people who come through and present, and and some wacky ideas, and and but we also have some that are that are quite compelling business ideas and so um so occasionally i, I invest small amounts in in those ideas yeah yeah and it's quite because you've got a on the the, the um you've got your list of uh, things you've got your it's not quite fingers is it because some of them you're you're hands off 
Well, uh, that depends on the company. So, so I mean, um, uh, my, uh, the, the sums of money that I'm investing are not are not massive. So, what I'm trying to do is invest in companies where I can put a little bit of money, but also help the business in, in concrete ways. And so that could be through being hands-on in some way for some period of time for specific projects, or it could be just through my connections in the geo industry and, and making introductions and things like that. So that varies depending on the needs of the company. Yeah. And do you like play um, Dragon's Den as people come in and you look sternly at them with a pile of cash sitting in front of them? Uh, not exactly. So usually, what what I do is I, I I spread the cash out on a bed and I'm rolling around them. Um, no, uh, um, no, it's um, obviously I'm I'm investing in the company because I I think that at some point there's going to be a return on that investment, um, and and that depends on lots of different factors. I mean, it depends on uh, to a small degree on the idea, to a, to a large degree on the team. Um, particularly because, as I said, I'm, I'm not investing massive amounts. I'm usually investing at the very early, early stages of the company when it is still an idea or let's say maybe a prototype or, or they the very first few customers. Um, and so really I'm making a bet on the team. And and do they does the team have the, um, the skills and the determination to find a path to market um, with their idea? And, uh, and, you know, to a degree, it's also a bet on, on the market that they're in. Um, you know, is that a, is that a good market to be in? And, um, you know, are there, are there enough customers and things like that? Yeah. So, cause that, that must be the, the key. I mean, just in terms of not even investing, but the, the industry trends and what's going on and where, where is saturated and where's niche and where's new thinking it must, must get a really good insight into that. Uh, well, yeah, I, I do try, I do try, I do get exposed to a lot of things through all these different, um, the different GeoMob events and also through running the geocoding service. Um, uh, there is a lot of noise, of course, and, and some things come and go. Uh, there, there's also, I mean, any as any um, any honest startup founder will tell you, there's also a big element of luck to degree and, you know, just being in the right place at the right time. Um, but you also make your own luck by, by being determined, by not giving up, by um, you know, when when you're trying to sell something, you, you have, it's normal. You have to hear the word no ten times before you hear the word yes once, um, and that yeah. discourages some people. But but other people have the perseverance to, to carry on. So, so, so of, of the kind of uh, you've got quite a few listed on your uh, your web page there. You know, can you give our listeners a kind of an example of the the types of things you like? Investing? Sure. So so here in Barcelona, there's a company called Avuxi. Um, that's A-V-U-X-I.com. Um, and they, very interesting guys, what they do is they they crawl the web, um, different APIs and also the open web, and gather all kinds of geographically relevant data. And then they boil that down to really tell you the essence of a place um, and, and reduce that down to a single score. Or um, And so for any area in the world, any longitude and latitude, they can tell you kind of a score about that place relevant to certain categories. Um, so, and then they can visualize this in different ways. So it could be heat maps, it could be um, kind of infographic scores, it could be um, kind of a, a point of interest kind of uh, 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 data. And, and this, is, this is really quite challenging because there, you know, there's so much data out there. So there's a lot of, like in, in, in something like OpenStreetMap, one of the big challenges with OpenStreetMap is you have these people who are um, hyper obsessive about 
mapping every little thing, every park bench or whatever. And that's fantastic. But it may, it, when you're then trying to use OpenStreetMap, it, you know, it makes it a real challenge to try to filter between what is relevant and what's not relevant. Um, anyway, so Avuxi does that. And, um, and then they turn around and sell this to, this, for example, the travel industry. So if you're, if you're trying to book a hotel in a city that you don't know, you know, you're trying to make it, you, know, you, you don't know anything about that city. So you're trying to say, well, is this, is this, I mean, what part of town am I in? I'm in an area with like a lot of partying. I'm in an area that's child friendly. I'm in an area with um, all, all these kinds of things. And, and using Avuxi, companies can very quickly um, display that to their, their, to their customers. So um, Avuxi's customers are people like the, the travel search engine Kayak or, or many different hotel booking sites around the world. Um, so that's a good example in that I understand what they're doing and I understand why it's hard. Uh, I, what I, it's a huge industry. Travel is a huge industry where people spend a lot of money. So, um, if you can help hotel booking sites, you know, improve their conversion, that's highly valuable. Um, and what I like is it's, it's, a, it's a great product. I mean, it's a product that you can understand instantly and that makes sense. And, um, you know, it's easy to, to grasp like, okay. This is a useful service these people are providing. Yeah. Um, so, so um, if, well, I'm happy to give you some more examples if you want. But well, I, I really liked. Um, we talked about it, or we talked about it last time we chatted. But um, Flock, I thought was uh, really, really interesting. Right. So, so Flock is um, also um, presented at, at GMO. Uh, they're based in London, and what they do is provide real-time insurance for drone operators. Um, so that's kind of the original idea, and and now they're they're going deeper on that. But but the idea is this: it, you know, drones are kind of a new industry, and uh, in the EU, there's a requirement that if you're flying a drone commercially, it needs to be insured. You know, the same way as if you're driving a vehicle or whatever. Um, but the problem is because it's a new industry, insurers don't yet have good models and good history and good you know to to uh, good data sets to be able to price the insurance. So as a result, in, uh, drone insurance is actually quite expensive. And for many of these professional operators, they're spending more on insurance than they're spending on the actual device. Um, and so what, what Flock does is using your phone, you know, because the phone knows where you are, you can say, okay, I want to fly here. And if you, you know, you can draw a little uh, a polygon and say where you're going to fly. And then behind the scenes, they look at all the location about that, all, all the information about the location and can make a decision as to what the insurance should cost. So, you know, obviously if you're flying over an empty field, that insurance should be more cheap than if you're flying over, you know, a school or something. So, um, yeah, go ahead. Um, do they tell you how much to fly for Getwick Airport? <laughs> well, what they do, they, they do, for example, tell you if you're trying to fly in, in what they call no-fly zone. So, um, uh, they're, they're obviously, they that's one of the challenges, right? Is they there are different legal parameters about when you can fly, what types of devices you can fly, and I mean they're also pulling in real time information like the weather, for example. Um, okay. So, so part of it could be legally of like, can you fly here? But and other pieces could be just does it even make sense for you to try to fly? You know, at this time, um, uh, and and so behind the scenes they have this quite complex engine that gathers all this data. And at the end, spits out a price. And um, the thing that's really interesting about that is that type of model. You know, there are all kinds of new technologies coming about that also 
face the same dilemma of not having a history upon which we can we can base insurance decisions. So, you know, um, you're starting to see these like little delivery robots, you know, so you order lunch and some sort of autonomous little robot brings it to your address or whatever. Um, so those things need to be insured as well, you know, and you can have all kinds of, um, you know, all kinds of different, different things that the insurance industry is moving much more to kind of a real time uh, model and, and flock, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully they have an engine to help do that. Yeah. So, that, that seems quite an exciting, but I mean, they're already un, um, backed by Alliance, one of the biggest, if not the biggest insurer in the world, aren't they? Yes, yes. Um, so um, Allianz is is one of the biggest insurers in the world. And um, for someone like Allianz, you know, it's, it's useful for them to partner with a company like Flock because Flock, A, they have a very innovative, dynamic team and they can move much more quickly. And as a result, Allianz can explore how um, you know, can learn about this market Um but I, I think Flock is now also working with other uh, insurance companies as well, uh, possibly in different yeah. categories, or, or at, at the very least, they will shortly be. Um, so, that's yeah, that's that's an exciting one. But I mean, some of the companies that that I've invested in, um, you know, people are going to shake their head. Maybe people in the industry, but like another great example is a company called Localistico, also based in in London. And what they do is they help companies manage all their location data across all of the local advertising platforms. So if you're a big brand and you have many different um, branches, let's say, if, or stores or whatever, it can be quite complex to keep that data up to date, um, but then also publish it out to things like Google, to Facebook Places, to Foursquare, to TripAdvisor. Um, and of course, not just publish, for example, the address, but like, does it have a good looking picture? Does it have, um, you know, the, the opening hours, you know, not just in general, but like on specific holidays and things like that. So that when someone, you know, picks up their phone and says, okay, where's the nearest, uh, you know, McDonald's or whatever, you know, is Google actually routing them to the correct best store? And are you making the best first impression, um, you know, with a nice looking picture and all these kinds of things. And, and so Localistico is helping lots and lots of brands do that across, you know, their huge networks. Um, and and it's a real challenge because all these platforms like um, Google, local search, Facebook Places, they're of course also continually evolving, um, yeah. and 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 adding video, adding all these kinds of different things. So um, you know, it, for big companies, that can be a real headache to try to stay on top of. Um, yeah, well, they've, got, they've got some major um, major companies with yeah. them. You know, uh, Starbucks. Decathlon, Vodafone, Domino's. Well, I, I mean, one thing we hear, I'm, I'm sure you guys have come across this, everyone always talks about the presentation, you know, the, the, the canonical example of a location-based service is you walk past the startups and somehow they beam a coupon onto your phone, right? Yeah. So step one is Starbucks has to even know where all their stores are. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which, which, I mean, that sounds stupid, but... You know, I, I, I think I read some stat, like, you know, two or three Starbucks are opening every week in China. So, wow. you know, you can see that it, it could kind of, and, you know, and I'm sure some are closing and moving or whatever. And you could see how this would start to be a headache to stay on top of that. Um, and then and then publish it across all the different systems. So, um, so again, that was a case where, um, you know, it's clear what the problem is. It's clear that it's a valuable problem. Um, you know, the founder, very impressive guy. Uh, and, um, yeah, so now they're diving in and that company, that business has been growing very well, actually. 
Yeah. So if I was an investor, uh, sorry, not an investor. <laughs> if I was an entrepreneur and I had a brilliant idea, what is it that you're looking for? Uh, well, I think it would be a combination of you slash, slash you and your team. Um, so do you have a good, uh, uh, you know, do you have the, the requisite domain knowledge? Like, like, are, do you, do you, is there a reason that you're the right person to do this? Um, do you also have a, a good track record of, um, you know, you, 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 you have the right mix of the industry knowledge or let's say the technical knowledge, but also, um, you're not completely locked in, you're, you're the right person to kind of break down the doors and, and um, bring a new idea to the industry, um, which, which can be quite challenging. Um, uh, you know, w ideally you've also, you, you don't just say you have a good idea, you have something to show. So that could be a prototype. It could be first customers. It could be, um, you know, that you've, you've shown that you're really committed to, you're not just, uh, you know, oh, it would be cool if such and such happened, you know, but you're actually really devoted to this and working on it. And, um, you know, there are first signs that it's happening. Um, secondly, a big, uh, uh, you know, can you demonstrate a clear plan of how you're going to go forward? Um, and I say that not that, you know, not that you should produce like some complex hundred page business plan. And actually, you know, almost the one thing we can be certain of is whatever plan you present, that plan will have to change, right? It's impossible to predict the future. But by showing that you've thought about, you know, you might you might say, well, here here's our end vision. Um, here's how we think it's going to play out. You know, scenario A, if scenario A occurs, we're going to do um, one, two, three. If scenario B occurs, we're going to do four, five, six. You know, presenting that, that you have a clear plan, you've thought about the different possibilities um, and that you know how to, to bring this idea to the market. That would be... Yeah. Kind of the key thing. Yes, it sounds quite exciting. Um, I, so I, what, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, no. Um, so yeah, you've definitely, uh, definitely a man across the spatial industry. It's fun. I mean, the thing that excites me, and and this is um, kind of the common thread across all all these projects, be it OpenCage or GeoMob or or the investing, is um, you know, as I said, everyone now knows exactly where they are at all times via their smartphone and increasingly not just people but also devices you know the, the cost of tracking devices is falling rapidly um uh, you know now people track their dog people track you're going to have a tracking device you know it's going to be the case that if you buy a a thousand dollar bicycle it will have a tracking device in it right yep. um and so as a result of that we have this explosion of geodata um, and and the interesting thing now is how can we make services around that that simplify the the manipulation of all this data and turn the data into actual information that we can then act upon or build cool services around? Um, you know, and those could be those could be uh, very useful utility type services like what we're trying to do with with OpenCage, but it could also be fun things like uh, location based games. It could be. All kinds of different things. Um, you know, not it's not that it needs to be purely kind of boring back end plumbing. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I just think that there's there's so much possibility now due, due to this the technical availability of the you know the cost of hardware is falling. The the power of the hardware in terms of battery life and things is is getting um, better. Um, and the data is is much more um, easily available. Open data, particularly. 
Um, and and so all that we need now is people to build cool stuff with it. Do you think uh, so, location accuracy makes a difference? Uh, yes and no. So uh, I, I think this is one thing I talk about quite a lot at, at different industry events is that one real risk that a lot of um, old timers in the industry have, let's say, or, or people classically trained in the industry is, uh, or people who come from a highly technical background is that we, we really emphasize precision, correctness, and it needs to be perfect. And um, how can we make it more accurate and more features? And that, all, that has its time and place. But there are many, many amazing things and services that can be built where accuracy is not needed. Um, where precision is is not perhaps needed, where um, where good enough is good enough, um, and we see that we see that increasingly on on OpenCage. Many people um, sometimes we do get customers coming to us and they say, "Oh, well, is Open Data good enough?" And then when you dig into their use case, it, it's more than good enough. Like if you want to know what neighborhood someone's in, what country they're in, what um, you know, all, all these types of things. Uh, it, just to be clear, open data is very precise in, in many, many parts of the world. And actually in some parts of the world, it's the, the most precise data that you can get at any price point. But there are many, many use cases where, where ultra precision is not, um, not needed. And actually, uh, uh, we, we, so we, we support reverse geocoding where people send us coordinates. And it's quite funny because I see, you know, sometimes we have people say, well, I want to, um, you know, how can I, I want to do a better job of caching so that I can reduce the number of requests. And then I look at the requests they're sending and they're sending us coordinates with like 15 places past the decimal, which is, you know, sub nanometer, yeah. you know, and like, you know, do you really need nanometer level precision? You know, of course you're never going to have a cache hit when, when, you know, if I move my phone less than a millimeter, you know, all of a sudden we have a new, new coordinate. So, um, I really think that's one risk that a lot of people in the industry have is that they're too relentless in their focus on precision and, and ultra correctness and at the expense of usability at times. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been really good. Thank you so much for your time, Ed. Hey, it's been my pleasure. And um, thanks for making the podcast. It's always fun. <laughs> thanks. Yep. And so we'll just fill up. Um, you can get you on uh, com. Fryfogel.com, so it, that's, it's difficult to spell, so maybe you can throw that in the show notes, <laughs> but it's um, F-R-E-Y-F-O-G-L-E. Um, I'm also pretty active on Twitter, where my handle is also Fryfogel. Um, and of course, anyone out there who uh, needs some geocoding, they should please um, check us out at opencagedata.com. Uh, and finally, of course, anyone who wants to come along to a GeoMob is more than welcome. Um, and the best place to do that, to find out more about that, is thegeomob.com. Yeah, brilliant. Pleasure. Well, thanks so much for your time. My pleasure, guys. Great talking with you. Thank you. Well, there we go, Mark. That was Ed. And that was great. Thank you, Ed, uh, for for talking to us and uh, giving an, giving us an insight to your insights. Now, you you uh, you will have heard in that interview. Um, yeah, Ed talked about open cage data and i said oh that's a great thing i need i need to go and talk to somebody about that at work and i did uh and um yeah no it's really quite interesting um it's you know that's what i found amazing about this uh doing this podcast is you get introduced to people and you get introduced to uh you know solutions that you might not otherwise get introduced to and um being able to talk about open cage it's um yeah 
Watch this space is what I'm going to say. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you again, Ed. Um, and again, uh, listeners, if you've got any questions and comments, please get in touch. Uh, yeah, totally. And um, thank you. Uh, thank you for listening. And um, we'll be back when? Well, next time, I guess. Well, yeah, next week or two. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like to be too specific. Do we not? Yeah, no, we're, um, we're, 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 we're sometimes about the T, but mostly about the X, Y and Z. <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, catch you later. Yep. <laughs>